At Closer Discipleship, we help others grow closer to God and to each other. We do that through Bible studies, leader training, teacher training, and just general discussions on the topic. We do all things discipleship on this Closer Look podcast. We're in Romans seven thirteen through 8, 4 this week. And we are seeing the other side of the pendulum swinging, that we're free from defeat as well as freedom from striving, which we saw last week. So in order to go forward, I want to go backwards a little bit and exposit 7, 4 through 11. So we see in verse 4 that we died to the law so that we might belong to the Spirit. Now, it seems as though what it's saying there is that we're replacing uh, the spirit for the law. And in a sense, we are, but yet the law was good. So it's not to say that the law is bad. And the key is in that word, belong. When you look it up, it actually means uh, join to, but even more so, it means growing in. We have died to the law so that we might grow in the spirit. Through the law, we know sin, and we know it for what it is, and before the Spirit came, it acted as a guardian to keep mankind, or to keep the Israelites not in complete depravity, but yet, here we are now with the Spirit. It's a better way, and the Spirit is the thing that can actually help us to grow. The law was never intended to help us to grow. So that's the first thing we need to understand. The second is in verses 5 through 6, where it says, The law only aroused our sinful passions at bearing fruit for death. And you might wonder how a law can arouse sinful passions. Because when we think of sinful passions, we think of things like lust and greed and all those other you know, horrible sins that we just don't even like to think about. But we can see through 1 John 2.16 and other places that sinful passions can be anything that's not um, rooted in God, that's not dependent on God. And one of those things is the pride of life. We all can relate to this one, the sense that we need to make something of ourselves or be something or do something or on the other end to totally give up and then that's where um, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, we sometimes call that comfort in our modern language. Yes, it is, could be the sexual sins, but you know, psychologists reason and rightfully so that those sins come from a need of comfort. And so, you know, we swing from, I can do this, I've got this, I'm going to make something of myself to, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm just going to make this life comfortable. And through that lens, we can see that our sinful passions were aroused by the law because then the law provides something, not the way it was intended, but the law provides something that we can compare ourselves to and compare one another against. And therefore, it arouses this pride of life. And it also then arouses in our defeat this need for comfort. I couldn't do it, and therefore I need something else to give me satisfaction and joy and this artificial life that I'm looking for. 
So in verses 7 to 8 then, it says the law held us captive, but was not sin. So in that sense, it provides a means that that holds us captive. Not enslaved like we see in Romans 6, 6, where we actually belong to it. It's more of just that it's restraining or binding us. It's binding us to that sin pattern in us which wants to compare and build ourselves up or tear ourselves down. And so then in verse 9 through 11, we see that if we focus on the law, it will only produce more sin, meaning we will only produce more sin in order to keep the law because the law itself doesn't provide the power for us to keep the law, to keep God's standards. And I always use that example of chocolate cake because I know like if I say to myself, I should not eat that chocolate cake, the more, and I've made that law for myself, the more I just focus on that law, the more I seem to want it. And then I'll even do other sins to get it, like lying or hiding or whatever. Um, if I really believe that the only goal is not to eat the chocolate cake. But as we saw last week, if I value other things and I value what God values, then the law no longer binds me. Then I am free to serve God through the law of the Spirit. So what is the law of the Spirit? Well, we see in 8.2 that it says the law of Spirit has of the Spirit has set us free. And in that sense, the law, it's not meaning the laws in the Mosaic law, but it's meaning the law as in a principle. In Constable's commentary, it says, the law of sin is like the law of gravity. It pulls us down. But the law of the spirit is like the law of aerodynamics. It overcomes the law of sin. It lifts us up and it enables us to fly victoriously over the flesh. So the law of the spirit supersedes the law of sin and death. Let's use an analogy to help us. Let's say we're all born into this earth with a mean angry dog. Like we're gifted this mean angry dog as our companion for life um, when we're first born. So This mean, angry dog, we put it in our backyard and it terrorizes the neighbors and it runs around and wreaks havoc in um, other people's yards. And so we need to keep this mean, angry dog fenced in, just like we need to keep sin fenced in. So we put up this fence. The fence is like the law. God gave us the law. The law's good. It's going to help keep that mean and angry dog from terrorizing the neighbors and making a mess in the community. But the problem is with us. Once we see that fence, we start wanting to kind of measure ourselves by that fence. You know, we might look at the neighbor's fence and say, yours is a different color and I like that color. I'm going to paint mine that color. Or might say, you know what? Your dog is a little bit more angry than my dog. What did you do wrong? Or (laughs) your dog is a little bit more angry than my dog, but you seem to be keeping it in pretty well. You must have a special fence. So I'm going to tell me what you did. I'm going to, I'm going to make my fence better. 
And then what happens out of this is we become a community or a society of fence keepers, making our fence better than everybody else's fence and spending all of our energy maintaining this fence. Because after all, it's all about keeping in this dog that we've all been given. All right, now let's say that someone comes along and says, nope, the answer isn't about getting a better fence. The answer is getting rid of the dog. Well, that's what the hope in Jesus Christ promises, that one day we will be free of that dog. We will be free of sin and death for good. However, the problem is we're not there yet. And so we still have to do something with this mean, angry dog. I believe this is what Paul is talking about when he says, who will set me free from this body of death? Who will set me free from this mean, angry dog that I have that's constantly tormenting me and tormenting my neighbors? And he comes to the conclusion, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. So Jesus is the answer to our problem in the here and now, not just the answer to our problem in heaven. And he says that Jesus did what the law could not do. It could not rid us of the mean, angry dog, of that sin within us. So it said that Sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so that there is no condemnation in us. That word condemnation is to put an end to, a final end, a final judgment. Sin was condemned in the body and person of Jesus Christ so that we would not suffer that condemnation for our sin. But we still have this problem that this mean, angry dog is still residing within our flesh. We still have the passions and the desires that want to pull us away and tempt us to do wrong. And we could just give up in defeat. We could say, you know what, I'm never going to overcome it. It's there. I'm just going to wait this thing out until the Lord comes or I'm taken to heaven. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He says, thanks be to God who has set me free in Jesus Christ. And that Jesus himself said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, the abundant life. So Jesus wants to do something with our mean, angry dog, with that sin. He wants to transform it. He wants to make it new, reform it. Now, don't get confused and think that we are just to take all of our old patterns and to then redo them, so to speak. Really, what he's trying to do is bring us to a higher plane above where that mean, angry dog exists and to um, help us to live there and to sow and bear fruit there. I want you to hear it in Colossians 3.1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So again, we saw at the end of chapter 7 in Romans that it's a battle in our mind. 
that we're waging war in our mind. And so here too, it says, set your mind on things above. What are the things above? Well, it's not the fence and the law below. They were just there to guard us until the Holy Spirit has come. The things that the Holy Spirit wants to do is to bring all men to himself. That is the message of the New Testament. So we are to be ministers of reconciliation, to bring all people to God, to stand in the gap, to help bridge the gap between God and man so that they may come back to the Father, that they might know their Creator through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the things that we, those are the things that we are to seek. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, set your mind on the things above. So when it comes to our sin, then what are we to do? Because our sin is still there. Well, let's give some practical applications this week. And then next week, we'll see how the Holy Spirit is going to guide us through this process. But for now, we need to know what to do some practical steps. So here are some things that I learned along the way that helped me to set my mind on things above. First of all, whenever I am dealing with sin, I don't just try to deal with the behavior as I talked about last time, but address the value. And if I were to say that another way, I would say I try to find the God-honoring reason. I've shared that, um, you know, eating right and exercise is part of my journey. It's part of my whole health and, and living the life that God wants me to live. Well, at first, it was just about, you know, looking good. I'll admit it. I just wanted to look good. And um, that never led to freedom. That never motivated me enough to have freedom from that which held me captive because it wasn't a God-honoring reason. It was a me-honoring reason. It was bringing me glory, not God. So when I learned to switch to a God-honoring reason, then I learned to have victory. And for me, the God-honoring reason was that I wanted to have the energy and the right mindset for my family and to serve the Lord. Because, like I shared, junk food made me feel like junk. Exercise um, helped bring me out of that and um, helped to free my mind from the depressive thoughts and other things that I was having. So I wanted to be the best that I could be for my family, to serve my family, to love my family, and to serve the Lord. And when I found that as my reason, I was far more motivated. Second... Remove the temptation as best as you can in the meantime. You know, it talks in Romans 6 about yielding, about offering your members to God and not to sin. Well, don't offer your members to sin by letting the temptation sit right there in front of you. Remove it as best you can. However, don't make a hard and fast rule because then again, you're falling back into the trap of setting your mind on the things of earth and not on the things above. That might become a little bit more clear as I go on here. Three, ask the Lord to not let you be led in temptation. You know, as Jesus prayed, lead us not into temptation. So we can do that by offering this prayer up to the Lord. And then we'll find that he does 
sometimes put walls around us to help guard us um, that we didn't even know that we needed. For example, one thing that happened to me after I prayed that prayer is that John started going to the grocery store. He decided that he wanted to take that chore on himself. And at first I was like, yes, I do not have to go to the grocery store. This is amazing. But then um, I realized that it was really a way of God helping me not to be tempted because let's face it, when I would go to the grocery store, I would come home with 20 extra things that I didn't need. And many of those things were the things that um, I shouldn't be eating. But now with John going, I can't do that. So the Lord provided this natural wall for me because I asked him not to lead me into temptation. Fourth, I would say um, to don't, don't go into extremes. To be balanced. In Titus 2, it talks about um, the woman who is self-controlled. And that word self-controlled is really meaning free from extremes. Um, We see in Colossians 2 that the early Christians in that church, they were following after asceticism, which was severe bodily harm. They were going to the extreme of trying to keep themselves away from sin by just setting extreme rules and around themselves. And so Paul was saying, no, that's not the way to go. So we can learn from that and learn not to put extremes in our life or around us to keep us um, really in our own box, but it's not the way um, that the Lord would have. The Holy Spirit again is going to help us rise above those, those desires. So don't go to extremes, try to find a balance. And then uh, fifth, Spend your time serving the Lord. Find your purpose. Because when your focus is there, you'll be less focused on your sin. So get involved in church. Find out what your gift is. Use it to serve the body. Minister to people in your community. Teach them about Jesus. Show them the good news. Love them as you would yourself. When you focus on those things, you're going to be far less tempted to focus on your sin and to act it out. So those are some practical steps that you can practice. Next week, we're going to go into Romans 8, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the crux. This is the the climax of the whole letter. This is what Paul has been driving to for seven chapters the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. Guess what? The Holy Spirit was promised back in the Old Testament. This is not just a New Testament thing. This was the reason not that Jesus came, not just to get us into heaven, but to get the heaven into us through the Holy Spirit. So I hope you'll join me next week. In the meantime, remember, we don't have to live in defeat. We can continually walk forward and rise above our sin through Jesus Christ, through what he has given us. Just keep going to God. Keep asking for new truth. Keep surrendering to him because that is where we find our victory. The Holy Spirit and Jesus in us have a way that is better, that supersedes the way of the flesh. And so when we surrender to that, we will have victory over our flesh. If you haven't already, you can find our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. 
I also hope you will check out our workbooks and resources on our website. If you want to start a closer community, there is a how-to guide on our website as well. And of course, if you need support or have any questions, we are here for you. Check out our website at gracetoday.org closer. We are all about equipping individuals through their local church to grow closer to God and to others through a closer look at their Bible and a closer look at discipleship.